welcome, bienvenue to the Fantasy Tools Podcast. This is a show where fantasy tools discuss fantasy tools. I'm your host, Eric Rents, and I'm joined by my co-host, Michael Peterson. Our mission is to discuss fantasy baseball and the tools that we're developing that help us manage our teams. Cue that intro music. So I picked up a new book this week, um, and I was reading along. I don't know if you've ever had this experience. And I have read book before. There's yes. there's this there's this uh, vignette in the book where this guy is at a bar, and somebody comes up to him and asks what game he's watching, and he says, "Oh, I'm watching my team, the Twins." And I was like, "Yeah, check that out." And then like a couple lines down, somebody says, "Oh, the Twins are losing," and the guy goes, "Yep, that's just what they do." And I was like, "What a pot shot! <laughs> what? Where'd that come from?" <laughs> Why? So the author is from Minnesota. I mean, obviously, but well, that felt... He knows. That felt totally unfair. Just a cheap shot out of nowhere. You mean from the book or in your day? Both. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty rough. To be fair, that cheap shot might have been totally warranted after the fire sale that the twins had this week. Yeah, who, uh, who are you saddest about seeing go? Well, I mean... Saddest, I think, is 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 Escobar. But the I <laughs> I was so shocked because Presley was already pitching for the Astros before I even realized they had traded him. <laughs> like like the the Astros had like a I tweet know. about like Presley does great in his outing, and I was like, wait, what? Wait, <laughs> wait, he's, he's my pitcher. <laughs> yeah. What what's he doing there? <laughs> but I think that Eduardo Escobar thing is going to be exactly like the um. The Nunez thing. Ah, uh, I mean, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, good stats, bad team. I mean, right? I mean, the old basketball. Yeah, we've talked about this a little bit before, but it's so much harder to do that in baseball. It, it is. It is, but if you're going to get regular at bats, that was Escobar's thing. Was he was like always a fringe starter, and he was like being rotated among different positions. That's true. You make a good point. I mean, I will say that this is the type of thing that I should have seen coming the whole time in the sense that, like, they have Polanco. They're clearly invested in him. No, you can't have nice things. A little tragic, but it was less the fact that Escobar himself was traded and more just like, oh, the Twins are punting the season. Okay. Yeah, it's it's really sad to know it's over. Yeah. And it was, it was the type of thing where I had... I literally that morning had a conversation with the other Twins fan at work saying, man, it's been a real up and down season, but I think we're okay. <laughs> like, Well, I mean, last year, if you remember last year, you guys were down and out, right? And then you went on a, on a little flurry and then made the playoffs. We'll just cross our fingers. Yeah, to lose in the first game, but yes. <laughs> We did technically make the playoffs. You are correct. Yes, indeed. Technically. Um, so you sent me a pretty good article. Pretty, um, I think it's pretty sound on the astronomy. Um, this little publication, the Onion. Is that? Am I pronouncing it correctly? I think yeah, that's a good pronunciation. Very, very francophile of you. After the tour ended this week. Neil deGrasse Tyson debunking stadium's home run animation depicting ball launching into the stratosphere. 
yeah i mean it's you know it's very misleading how stadiums do that. i know i i gotta say i'm behind him the science is sound on that it's very unlikely that it's doing that this week on the pod we have the first installment of our algorithm challenge and we are working on figuring out outliers Eric said that I had to keep it a little bit simpler, so we stuck with the univariate outlier determinations. I focused on pitching. Eric focused on batting. We don't really know what the other person was doing, so this should be a pretty interesting discussion. So we're going to start with a description of the algorithm, and then we'll launch into our applications. Here we go. So we set out to develop these simple, I know you hate the word simple in in statistics, but univariate outlier (laughs) determinations. Meaning one variable from the data set so if we're looking at one variable that means one dimension that means the frequency and the placing of those um the values a sample i guess of the um what's the what's the term that that statisticians like to use all the time vector oh yes the sample (laughs) samples within the vector um, so the idea is that you're then graphing that along one dimension. So what you have is then um, a histogram, essentially. And it's how does that deviate from what you'd expect? I just wanted to mention a couple of things um, before we get going. I want to make it, you know, make sure that we're clear on the fact that outliers can be good or bad. <laughs> that is a great point to make um we we spend we spend a lot of time looking for the good outliers <laughs> and i think we spend a bunch of time with our data being poisoned by bad outliers yeah exactly and that's what's really hard in all of these exercises is that we yeah in essence we are trying to find the good outliers within um within the distribution while also um ignoring the bad ones from um yeah dragging down our models but it's the flip side of of the equation the flip sides of the equation (laughs) that's right there's some in there's some instances where we want to get rid of the outliers we want the bulk of it to figure out the model and there are other instances where we want either good or bad outliers okay Mm -hmm. yeah it's like well yeah from the last three years it's like well do you just drop kershaw (laughs) (laughs) right yeah what do you do with them yeah we've talked about that at length i chose an application that forced me to get a couple of pieces of software to a bit higher level of maturity um and so my application is i wanted to check and see who's been throwing the fastball or a fastball outside the normal range of mlb fastball velocities so i took a data set that was all of the fastballs, all of the velocities of fastballs that have been thrown this year. And I had them married to the the player who threw them. And so then I asked, what does an outlier mean in this? Velocities are something that um, anyone who's thinking about taking their stats to the next level or their discussion to the next level of baseball wants to talk about. Like you mm-hmm. hear, you hear this a lot with pitchers, and it's you know it's very sexy to be throwing 100 miles an hour, or like oh their velocity dipped over the last outing, like maybe something is wrong. Right. Yeah. You want to talk about it with uh, with pitchers, and you want to talk about it with hitters as well. Like, mm-hmm. what's the bat speed? What's the velocity off of the off of the end of the bat? That's right. And so I 
finished up or cleaned up the software that is pulling all of the the Statcast data um, attached nice. to pictures, and so so that actually so I ended up with get ready for this, no joke, two hundred and fifty seven thousand three hundred and five fastballs up till today were thrown this year. Wow, that is a lot of fastballs. <laughs> it's a fastball league. So what that means is that we should have a very populated, very easy to describe data set. I like it. Yeah, that's that's a it's a good sample. We always complain about sample <laughs> size, and this is that's not a sample. That is sample. a good sample, yeah. So uh, then I tried to define what does an outlier actually mean in the data. Okay. So here's what I came up with. Okay. I filtered everything on the the percentiles. And instead of assuming that it's a Gaussian distribution, you can see from this histogram that I put together that it's that it deviates strongly from a Gaussian um, at at both ends, and it tries to fit a lot mm -hmm. of this low velocity tail. And so I tried to get rid of that by forcing it to do uh, a higher order fit that relies on the percentiles. And so what it does is it squeezes. Um, it asks where the 75th percentile and the 25th percentile are. And then sets the standard okay. deviation of a new Gaussian based on that. Okay, which means that you kind of clip a little bit of the extremes, and then you have a little bit more in the center. So let me put some numbers on this. the The high side of the outliers are all pitches above ninety nine point six miles an hour, or what I'm going to call the high outliers. And then on the low side, it turns to it turns out to be here. <laughs> all pitches below 85.4 miles an hour that's a slow fastball yeah i mean <laughs> I, and i thought that weaver jared weaver jared weaver thrown in the jared 70s weaver is out of the league <laughs> jared weaver yeah um what i learned about this is that some unknown guys have been throwing hard and this outlier analysis allowed me to to very quickly pull those guys out ones that i might not have ones that i might not have picked up on otherwise um, and it's interesting because the first thing that I tried to do was to look at a sniff test for these outliers. So I started on the good side here. Um, and here are the guys that I'm keeping an eye on. So some of these guys came up and make make a ton of sense. They're guys that you know are hard throwers. For instance, Araldis Chapman, Felipe Vasquez, Joe Kelly, Dylan Batances, Blake Trinan, Luis Severino, Noah Syndergaard. Like these are all guys that are known for their hard throwing. And so it's good to see that they actually show up in this metric. Okay, they are actually outliers. Well, I would, yeah, if you didn't have Chapman and Joe Kelly, I'd be really concerned. But you know what's crazy <laughs> is that Chapman and Joe Kelly are are already worlds apart. Araldus Chapman, 37% of his pitches are above 99.6 miles an hour. Wow. Of his fastballs, I should say. 99.6? Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. But you know what's even crazier? Jordan Hicks... 86% of his fastballs are faster than 99.6 miles an hour. What else does he pitch? Uh, basically nothing. Holy holy moly. I did not did not realize that. I did not realize that either. And so he's one of my first teasers on this. Guys that I'm keeping an eye on. Like, I didn't know that he was that huge of an outlier. Like, I had no clue. Um, That's the other guys are guys that have really are interesting. Because this is just a blind search for everybody that throws more than 2% of their pitches faster than 99.6 miles an hour. Mm -hmm. Okay, everyone else on this list is somebody that is 
coming in sporadically, which is really interesting to me because as we yeah. approach the end of the season, some of these guys might start to see a little bit more time and based on the other guys on this or list. Or have new roles if they're on bad yeah, teams. Based on the other guys on this list, they could be a little interesting. Okay, so here they are. Um, Tehran Guerrero, who's a Marlins prospect, sort of prospect. He's a little bit older. Um, Gerson Bautista. Is it Gerson? Gerson? Any idea? Sure. He's a Mets prospect. Gerson sounds right. He's pitched in the majors a little bit this year, but he's back down right now. But I'm going to be keeping an eye on him when he comes up. He's a hard thrower in another league. Um, Sir Anthony Dominguez is one of the Phillies, quote-unquote, closers. (laughs) And then, then you've got two guys <laughs> that are in the con- very confusing raise system but throw really hard. So could actually be valuable. Jose Alvarado and Ryan Stanek. I just want to make fun of the way that Ryan spells his name, by the way. R-Y-N-E. Come on, man. What the heck? I know. I know. And then there's another guy who's a perpetual minor leaguer on the Giants, throws really hard, named Ray Black. <clears throat> yeah, well, you'll see this just to... You've got one more player here, <laughs> uh, but but um, you see this is a lot of these guys are the ones stuck in quadruple A, uh-huh. are the guys that can throw ninety eight miles an hour, ninety nine miles an hour, but it's straight as an arrow. And unless you're Joe Kelly, and at the very least you're you have really really good. Well, I don't know if it's really, really good. But if you have a above average command, you can like you still strike some guys out. Yeah. I mean I think there's a few things to learn from this list. Um I was also baffled to see that Shohei Otani is actually makes this list. Well, I mean he he did have a couple of outings this season. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but I, I forget that he throws that hard. Oh yeah, I mean he's 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 thrown the fastest pitch in Japanese ball, yeah, right? Yeah, but that's crazy. I think, so my other, ta- one of my other takeaways from this is that, like, Felipe Vasquez is valuable. Like, he's probably going to be a very solid closer. I mean, I, that's what I said I, a I know, ago, right? I'm just, I, I didn't mean to poo-poo it. I'm validating your stance. <laughs> Good. <laughs> All right, it. so those are my positives. Uh these are the guys to be careful on. These are, I mean, there's no, there's not really a reason to discuss these guys, but I think it's very funny that 100% of these guys' fastballs have been below 85.4 miles an hour, below the low side. There's, there's oh, six of wow. these guys that okay. have yet to throw a fastball faster than that this year. Um, <laughs> Kazuhisa Makita, I guess. Daniel Descalso. Hurts for Descalso. Tommy Listella. <laughs> Chris Jimenez, Brian Holiday, Ryan Lamar. These, I mean, these are guys that aren't important. But to me, this says these are guys that we want to filter out immediately when we're when we're talking about fantasy relevance. Wait, is Chris Jimenez a catch? He's a catcher. Uh-huh. But so but that tells you something really interesting about the data that we get, right? Which is that you yeah, want to, we have everything. These aren't guys that you want to include. <laughs> like, I don't want to include no, them in the exactly. analysis well, of pitchers. Yes, it was able. Right, so you were able to do what we talked about, the good and the yeah. bad, which is to identify the the good as well as identify the bad and the outliers. <laughs> Chris, <laughs> I know. So I'll say that I think I think this pretty simple, uh, it's sort of a percentile filtering um, univariate outlier determination is very powerful um, and 
dead simple to implement and I'm happy to happy to share the implementation and look at it with uh, with other things Eric knows just how to push my algorithmic buttons and goad me into a nerdy admission. Python site packages? Mike, you, I feel like you might have an opinion on on this. Come on, man. You really want you really want to get me just ranting on KDE here? Okay, here's the long and the short of it. I spent a bunch of time looking at these and then I wrote my own. <laughs> of, of course. Of course. There he is. Histograms are a great tool for uh, looking at a single variable and trying to to uh, find the distribution of that variable and then to also understand what the potential outliers are. Now, kernel density estimation is a nice tool to then um, really take histograms up a level. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, would you prefer that or me to say kernel density estimation is a non-parametric way to estimate the probability density function of a random variable? Yeah, I got to say I much prefer that one. <laughs> oh, of course you would. <laughs> so what, does, what is kernel density estimation? Um, the idea of kernel density estimation is you have you have a series of points. Uh, let's let's think about this. As you have a series of points along um, along a line, along one dimension, and to really understand what the density of those points is, you need to understand then um, where they kind of overlap each other, and then that in and of itself ends up becoming a a different measure. So you're looking at kind of the neighborhood of every single one of your uh, every single one of your um, points along that data set. That's right. All right. So, Mike, I, I sent you uh, the uh, the crux of the biscuit was I took a look at um, I scraped data from fan graphs, all hitters who had gotten um, a plate appearance. Oh wow! <laughs> and had, <laughs> had had a plate appearance and had um, completed that plate appearance. Oh, I guess it yeah. was able to get because that's remember that's a distinction. That's one of those quirks about baseball. Um, I like that we both picked dirty data sets. Oh yeah, I don't know why I took the BIP <laughs> and everything. <laughs> so uh, I put together I. I sent Mike um, the histogram. Now that of, is a distribution. That's it's a heck of a distribution. So what we see is, um, bam, <laughs> we see a large amount of people at zero. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what is that? If there's if there's only six hundred in, in this, it's like a solid a solid two percent. Or no, solid five percent. No, five percent <laughs> over five percent. Yeah, that's crazy. And then you see um, a little bit of nothing, and then you have a very, uh, very peaked um, histogram that goes from like 
what is that? 0.075. Yay. <laughs> Batting average of balls in play up to about, I mean, where would you say? 425? I think that's a solid end, yeah. And then you have at least one person with one, 100 batting average on balls in play. Yeah. I mean, looking at this, you can immediately tell why taking the average is a bad idea. <laughs> right. You cannot take the average of this. This is not a, this is not strictly speaking a normal distribution. That's right. <laughs> so you can't just take the, the average of this data set. So, um, Da, 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 that's where you bring kernel density <laughs> um, estimation in. Because mm-hmm. what this sample is trying to get to is like, what is what is the correct average um, of this distribution? And that kind of moves. When you look at the histogram, you have one kind of sense of it. And that moves kind of down slowly towards 250 which we all which we kind of know i don't think that's too surprising part of the part of the exercise was really to kind of look at bandwidths now in a um, kde application the idea is that you you're trying to figure out how many um how many samples are within a bandwidth of each sample to then build up your your kernel density and one of the interesting pieces of that is how big do you make your bandwidths <laughs> yeah I, I like this graphical representation yeah so we what i've got here is the um, histogram from uh, the previously mentioned histogram and then different um, bandwidths uh, bandwidths <laughs> graphed over what the KD, kde um, is uh, what the model looks like with the different bandwidths and smaller bandwidths the more that we cling to the original um, histogram and the larger bandwidths the more that they fall um, and essentially uh, I did the cross-validation method and it said as small as possible basically on this this is I mean this this is, as much as as much as we uh, you poo pooed this a little bit for thinking that it was only telling you things that you already knew, I think there's a lot of power in this. There is, yeah. I, the problem was it, it was sort of like <laughs> sometimes you we have that we do these exercises and sometimes you're like, wow, well look at that. I know how to look at this <laughs> and I'm going to pick out a couple of players and I'm going to go from there. Sometimes you like. You're not realizing that you're like, oh, and that's chapter one of this analysis. Oh, great. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I think. I mean, I, th- I think you're right that, but again, the whole point to me of algorithm club or algorithm club or algorithm challenge wow. or, I mean, come on. I, I. When is my t-shirt coming? I want you to know that I wanted it to be algorithm club, but I. Listeners, email us both with requests for algorithm club. <laughs> the point of algorithm challenge was just to get out there and sort of stretch our legs with things that we don't know because and see what the see what we can apply them to because otherwise we just sort yeah. of revert back to all the same old things like i take the median or the mean of distributions all the time oh yeah all the time and this yeah. immediately is telling me uh oh, maybe you should slow your roller a little bit and be careful yeah 
Yeah, exactly. We'll be about ready to wrap this sucker up. I sent you an article here that I think is pretty fitting uh, based on everything that we're talking about today. Uh, it's this. It's an article from the Harvard Business Review because you know we're snobby here, and it's it's this. It's this sort of provocative article saying that if you want to get less biased decisions, you should use algorithms to do it. Saying that people are sort of inherently biased, and I saw that, mm-hmm. and I immediately thought, oh, this is like the perfect distillation of old school scouting versus versus the Moneyball era. Right. Well, see, this is, and <laughs> these articles are great in that they're also so naive. Because we, as we we sort of, it's sort of funny that we're talking about this one this week, and we talked about the um, Amazon, Amazon versus Google. Yes. Um, the voice recognition article last week, yeah. where it's the the exact opposite. We're at the point where this Harvard Business Review is like a couple of, you know, folks in Tweed being like, well, we could consider using algorithms. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, the next article is the article that we talked about last week is like making that decision and then running it out to the max <laughs> and being like, how can we continually make this better? And this is my thing on, we were talking about um, machine learning and we were talking about making an allusion to Westworld and how it's just like, you just pile it on, pile it on, pile it on. And then all of a sudden, you've got fucking robots. (laughs) Maybe that's one of the advantages of the fact that we basically start over every single time we do an analysis. Yeah. We get to look at things like starry-eyed. Yeah. Right? Ready for this review session? I am. <laughs> I, uh, the life of Brian. Monty Python's life the life of, of Brian. Brian. Excuse me. Life of Brian is like the, the, the slang that you refer to it. His as, like, name was Brian. You're supposed to give it the full title. <laughs> I, I had forgotten how much of this movie I had forgotten. I thought I knew a lot more of it. I, um similar i i felt similarly in that the things that i didn't remember it was like wow i don't remember this (laughs) like like the theme song i had totally totally forgotten about that had totally and and the um the the sewer scene totally forgotten about that as well yes (laughs) i i like the sewer scene that's a good scene it's pretty good it's it really I I kept on getting going back to like is this was this humor progressive or is this humor today progressive or is it really really dated? I I mean I think we can I I'm think we can be confident that they were extremely progressive at the time. I had the same sort of thought process, and I think that it's still fairly progressive. I mean I think you can see all of the things where they were really pushing the envelope and developing a new style. Yeah, and it's a little bit less... um, It's a little deeper, I think, than the Holy Grail and not quite as bonkers as um, Meaning of Life. I like that you highlighted 
our one of our favorite things to do, which is look for different Empire generals appearing <laughs> in other movies. <laughs> Admiral Pyatt. I didn't even... What are you doing here? <laughs> the, the lady pulled him up and I was like, you're right. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Interesting time. I, I mean, I really appreciated the refresher again on this movie it was good it wasn't as good as i remembered it or it didn't um it didn't have the same shock value as it did when i was i don't know 15 when i watched it i agree i this actually might have been of all the movies that we've watched the one that i went the longest since i've seen i i I know that i haven't seen it in 15 years i watched it like a couple times when i first watched it though because i was like this movie is awesome. <laughs> Are we going to talk about the alien spaceship scene? <laughs> I that one I distinctly remembered. Like I I knew that it was coming. I couldn't remember exactly what it was that happened, but it was like I know this is like aliens like show up and take him away. <laughs> it's one of those parts. The thing the thing that struck me about the alien scene this time was just how little they cared to hide the fact that it was hands just holding eyeballs. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh wow, they really don't care. Yeah. <laughs> nope. No need. No need to care. So I was thinking that we should stay in a little bit more of the fantasy land this week. A little less tech-oriented. <laughs> I want to do The Princess Bride. I like it. Time for a little housekeeping. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter, Fantasy Tools. Mind the Z. Thank you, Mild Manor, for letting us use your tunes. Be sure to follow them on SoundCloud and Facebook. Feel free to email us with questions or comments. Send us messages at fantasy.tools at gmail.com. Again, mind the Z. All I've got left is worst of luck to you, buddy. Worst of luck to you, too. Yeah!